Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 72. It is a new year and a new us. Look at us. We're still alive. <laughs> well, my wife's been begging me to get a haircut, so it's not quite a, a new us yet. You know, give me a couple more a weeks, guys, too. and I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to need a haircut in the near future as well. Once, once, that, once it gets down past my eyes, I'll do it. So we're almost there. This reminds me of a, <laughs> as I'm thinking of a new us, there's a funny Babylon Bee article that was talking about in a stunning act of mercy, God allows the earth to continue to go to revolve around the sun or like hasn't destroyed the earth this year. <laughs> so, cracked me up. I love satire. I love the satire articles. Uh, there's some great ones. Babylon B, Onion. CNN. They're all pretty good. CNN. <laughs> That's right. All of these, all of these groups that are deliberately writing funny things about the world <laughs> are, are wonderful. One of the things we wanted to do today the thing, the main thing we wanted like, to do today. Like, what else do you want to do, Dan? It's a, it's a, I was going to eat lunch at some point here and, mm. and maybe exercise. Um, that jogging again. Really ambitious, I know. Maybe eat lunch and maybe <laughs> exercise. It's going to be day. a full day for you. Slow <laughs> down. I have a lot of things to do. Now I, I'm feeling obligated to explain them all. I'm going to resist. We're going to go through the last year. Do a little and take a look recap. at the year forward. Yeah, I, I, uh, you always what's you always say it. Uh, year in recap. Year, year in review. In, year in review. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that phrase always escapes me. And we're going to look at our predictions for this last year. What happened this last year, and what we're going to get wrong about next year. <laughs> so. First, we'll start with President Biden and the overall political picture in the U.S. Um, we made, well, going into the elections for Biden and Trump two years ago, we, or I guess a year, a year and a half couple ago, months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in the year of 2020, we made some predictions. And then when, in the early in 2021, we talked about the future of the GOP, which we thought in particular was not, looking not in a good, good state. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so to recap that a little bit, we predicted, we, we talked about the factions within the GOP, and basically you had a, you have a Trump faction, you have a not Trump faction. Mm -hmm. As far as the coalitions go, you could talk about their, you know, their ideological differences, their, their philosophical differences, which we have. But you have, in the coalition of where they align, you have the Trump group, you have a not Trump group, mm -hmm. and you have Trump leaving in the manner that he did. and. This is going to be a very big problem for future elections. Mm -hmm. We thought it'd be, did we say eight to 12 years? Is that, was that what you were we, Yeah, we, those were some of the numbers we threw out there that, that potentially, depending on what the GOP did, it could wreak havoc for eight to 12 years. Yes, and, and this, at the time, made perfect sense. <laughs> at least I thought it did, which is <laughs> what we made the case for, right? The GOP looked like it was in a really bad position. Trump. To lose an election after four years of being president, it, we, I mean, we talk about, we're going to talk about the next election. And, uh, you know, when the time comes and Biden's up for re-election, it's probably going to be a close election, judging from things as they are now. Mm -hmm. But it shouldn't be a close election. Mm -hmm. The incumbent president almost always wins. Mm -hmm. They have just a massive advantage and you can go through and you can track. There's a there's a funny thing where like they get elected for their first term, 
in the midterm, they lose because they're not able to carry out all their promises. But then, then in the next thing, they go, no, 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 you give me a Congress, you give me, I've got these goals. And then they, they win the second, their second term and they get Congress again for a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's this, you know, there's actually this a very ebb and flow that takes place pretty normally. Yes. And, uh, and for Trump to lose really threw it off. And for this midterm election for Biden to lose throws it off again, right? There's things are really in flux right now. Um, things are just not happening at, in the, in the normal. Well, and, the and normal by manner. midterm election, you mean the, this last year, the off, off, yes, the I off mean, season mm-hmm. election. I don't even know what you'd call that one. Biden's first, uh, election that isn't, that isn't as important. I mean, it is technically expected. a midterm election, but I don't, usually people say midterm elections. That's not what they mean. Yeah. They mean mid the president's yeah, term. Yeah, exactly. Which is, Every two which years. Is two yeah. years. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, so if things are, things are odd, the GOP does actually appear at least outside of office to be united. Mm-hmm. And that actually is pretty common, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's much easier to be the opposition party. Um, you can, you don't have to actually put forward an agenda. You don't actually have to have a plan, right? You can just say how bad this person's doing. But one of the things we really didn't expect was just how. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's funny because you talk about it and I'm looking over at our, at our show notes. And one of the questions we ask is, you know, can the factions be unified against a common enemy? And our answer is Biden is too lukewarm to unite against. That the problem you have is that Trump is an incredibly controversial figure. And that's right. part of the, part of what we were seeing is that normally what happens is you have, you know, when you are out of power, the attention is not on you. The attention is on what the other side is doing. And so when the Democrats are in power, the Republicans get a break and it allows them to build political capital to use later on. But because Trump was so controversial and Biden was so lukewarm, what we predicted is an unusual circumstance where even though the Republicans are out of power, a lot of attention is still focused on the Republicans. And the mm-hmm. beginning of this year, that was definitely true. You know, you had the way Trump left office, January 6th, a lot of attention on that, and a lot of attention from, you know, you know, mainstream and legacy media focusing on Trump that was literally trying to make our prediction come true and keep <laughs> that focus on the out-of-power Republicans and off of the Democrats who are in power. And... If that had been successful, I think a lot of our predictions may have been closer to accurate. But instead, what happened that definitely surprised us was that Biden really, really has been kind of a failure. And he has gotten a lot of flack for it, which has allowed the attention, the spotlight to come squarely back on the Democrats and a chance for the Republicans to kind of sweep Trump under the rug a little bit and focus on just being the opposition party again. Yeah, it's it's interesting. COVID-19 is one of them, right? Where, where the two big things were were well, three big things really the Biden Biden's failed on. One of them is he's failed to resolve COVID-19 in a in any way kind that of allow- way. <laughs> in any kind of way. And, and in some ways, this was a strategic error in, the, in that his proposed solution is not possible. Right? The, this eliminate COVID is not possible. 
eliminate COVID and tie COVID deaths to be directly responsible. <laughs> I phrased that terribly. To have the <laughs> sitting U.S. president be directly responsible for any COVID deaths, which is what he said about Trump, puts him in a really awkward position as the sitting president. And as we've had more deaths in 2021 than we've had in 2020. Things like yeah. that make him in a really awkward position. Things like we have the vaccine, you need to take the vaccine, a ton of people take the vaccine, and it doesn't seem to be stopping the virus. You know, these these kinds of problems put you in a really awkward position. Yes, yes. And we've tracked COVID-19 through a variety of episodes, but suffice to say that it, that all of his solutions have not actually been able to solve the problem and they blamed the unvaccinated for a long time the unvaccinated turns out to be a lot of people on his side um, as well as others the they've tried a variety of things uh, as you get delta and then omicron and it develops and it becomes becomes clear what should have actually been relatively clear early which was that it would be endemic and all these other things it's it's uh it has made him seem rather incompetent mm -hmm. in a in in the battleground of his choosing mm -hmm. right? this mm -hmm. wasn't this wasn't Trump responding, uh, trying to respond to a new event. This was Biden having been handed something, making a stand based on something he didn't have to do. And you know, this is an unforced error, right? mm -hmm. <laughs> as they would say in like a tennis match or something. Which, unforced which, error. Which just brings us to up. his next big, big unforced error, which was his withdrawal from Afghanistan, which was just a disaster from start to finish and once again something that was really entirely up to his control you know as right. as he states he was just honoring old promises but those promises have been pushed off for years and it doesn't change the fact that he chose to withdraw in the way that he did you know having the military leave before the civilians was just insane yeah yeah, you don't even have to say that his problem was that he decided to withdraw. It was again, it was wasn't the necessarily the big decisions. It was just such poor management mm -hmm. of all the little things that make it work. Mm -hmm. You could you could you could say what he says about vaccines and other things and make it work. You could try and yeah, it, it's it really is for lack of a better word, just seems to be incompetence. That it's not it's not. Uh, you could have other leaders make the same decisions. And it would play out so much better. Um, and maybe that's, and, and honestly, that's, that may or may not even be his fault. Like when you look at how big the state is and how many things it's doing, like there's so many levels between him and how, where things actually mm -hmm. happen. Um, but, but that doesn't matter for optics, right? Which is what's mm -hmm. important mm -hmm. for the president. And that says, and maybe it says something about who he's appointing or whatever, whatever it is, the failure goes back to him. And, no, and especially when you talk about Afghanistan, you're talking about the executive branch. You're yes, talking about yes. something that you're right. He's not he is not there on the ground deciding which bag goes where and which troop goes where, but he is making the the big upper decisions that affect all the lower right. decisions. He is right. actually signing off on the withdrawal as it was planned. Unlike COVID nineteen, where he actually can't control COVID nineteen. He can yes. control how the military withdraws. He may not have, have directly decided anything, but that was a decision he made. You know what I mean? To not be directly involved, to not That's right. look and talk to the generals and see what's happening. And that's something that has come out 
that came out soon after Afghanistan is that there were generals who said, no, there are problems that need to be addressed that weren't taken seriously. Yes. And that we had informed them of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're still having hearings on that to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. We should distinguish between uh, how the country handles COVID-19, which where so much of it is domestic policy. The effect of the legislature is critical. And our legislature has been AFK, as they say among computer people. <laughs> <laughs> or MIA, I guess, would be a more generally recognizable <laughs> way to describe it for for decades in terms of serious problems mm-hmm. because they, they because of various problems we've discussed there they're just absent uh from making the decisions that only they have the power to make and so you're left with agencies trying to fill the gap in to the degree they can which is haphazardly without oversight and often with other incentives and then the president taking emergency measures that are also limited in their reach and yeah anyway it's a uh, the power he had over the Afghanistan events was much more direct. He could have had full control if he wanted it. He could have taken he could and his decisions affected everything under and so it's you know it's much more unilateral. It is it is much more his. And then the last the last failure on his part is one that he's actually gotten more blowback not from the Republicans but from the Democrats internally. From uh-huh. The key parts of his party is that he's failed to push big progressive agendas that he promised and that he leveraged for you know i mean a big part of the 2020 campaign was bernie sanders you know endorsing you know joe biden in exchange for clear promises that were made you remember we talked about bernie sanders speech talking about the the concrete things that biden was going to do for you know the progressive agenda and here we are and as as months go by more and more of those things get dropped you know i remember when when you know the white house announces that they're no longer going to try to get minimum wage period you know what i mean like they were going to get 15 dollars uh-huh. <laughs> minimum wage and they're like we looked at it and it's going to be too hard it wasn't like they fought hard you know and through all these battles they're like no it's not worth it so we're dropping it and then you have build back better where the progressives are like we have to have build back better be tied in with the infrastructure and the white house once again says no we're just going to get infrastructure through and then we'll get build back better through later and if we have happen to lose most of the the things like the child tax credit or the, you know, the universal daycare, you know, or the lower daycare costs, things like that, that are huge parts of the progressive agenda. Don't worry about it. And, and that, you know, is a huge betrayal for, for the, the Democrats who thought they were getting someone who's going to get something done. And so the end result of all of these things is that you have a president who is able to unify the conservatives to keep them focused on an enemy instead of focusing on the division between those who were sick of Trump by the end of 22 and those who thought Trump, you know, was their hero. Because that is a very real faction that's still there. It's still there in the Republican Party, and it could easily resurface, you know, come, you know, 2024, depending on who the Democratic candidate is. And depending on who the Republican candidate is, if Trump runs, that faction is going to instantly appear and become a huge issue. If Trump yeah. doesn't runs, 
not nearly as much so. You know, if Biden runs, there's going to be that unification against Biden. But if Biden doesn't run, you know, if it's a completely new Democratic candidate, who knows? Yes, we're set up for a really interesting uh, world in terms of the big political alignments and parties. I really think uh, that things are getting to the point where you could see new parties emerge. And again, because there's the way that elections are handled in the U.S. of the two parties and things, when I say a new party emerge, I mean an old party die, right? <laughs> because the two are going to be for a new party, not just like a new third party mm -hmm. that takes one to five percent of the vote. Right? No, but, but we're talking. But, but the party's actually shifting, so you still have two parties, but yes. they end up. But they may have different, different names, mm -hmm. or they may not. But they they be fundamentally different. I'm looking at a Gallup uh, approval disapproval ratings of Biden across the year. In January, when we made those predictions of la January of last year, we talked about the GOP splitting and the threat, you know, the serious problems the GOP would face over the next long period of time as they try and figure out who on earth they are. Um, and as you said, it, it, we didn't think they could say we're not Biden and that would be good enough because mm -hmm. Biden is too lukewarm. Here's Biden's approval rating. 57% with a disapproval rating of 37%. As in January? January of 2021. By July, it's down to 50 approval rating, 50% approval rating, and 45% disapproval rating. By December- This is all Gallup, right? It's the same- It's all Gallup. Okay, all Gallup, yeah. So and I, believe, I believe this is their- Or is that Rasmussen? We'll just- It's Gallup. So- by 2021 December, last month, the approval rating is 43%. The disapproval rating is 51%. At one point, the disapproval rating was as high as 55% in November of last year. That is a shift, 57% mm -hmm. in January, to 43 approval rating. 37% disapproval to 51% disapproval. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is a massive shift. Yeah, in the first in year. In one year. Yes, and it's a, and it's fairly uh, you know, it's stable for the first few months. It shifts a little bit as it always does, but then it it really starts to tank mm -hmm. around July. <laughs> the disapproval rating seems to be a pretty steady increase, but the approval rating holds into the the mid 50s, at least high <laughs> mid 50s, and then just starts to take hits from July and August and and goes out the window to the point where he is, uh, you know, there's a variety of ways to measure these things, but by some metrics, he is the most unpopular president, um, which is weird. Um, <laughs> you, wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't think that he could do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't think he could do that. I'm kind of impressed, but uh, it, it means for, it makes for a strange political future where we might have two four year presidents in a row. Which is really odd. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I and I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Right, and I think it sets us up for Republicans, at least in the next election this year, the the midterm election this year, to be able to unite in a coalition against whatever it is that Biden and company are. Yeah, all I'm all I'm confident in saying is that we were wrong before. And yeah. that these elections are going to be a lot closer than we thought they were going to be. I think. Yes. I think. If we've learned anything from the last couple of years, I think there are going to be a lot of curveballs, and I think the yeah. political cycle is going to become much shorter. 
And so we're going to have much sharper upticks and downticks just in general. I don't think this is going to be unique to Biden. I think, yeah. you know, yeah, you're I, think, right. I think one-term presidents might become more normal. I think as we become more and more politicized and more and more divisive, I think seeing wacky numbers like this might become more normal. That's interesting. That would speak to a, a in significant underlying discontent exactly, with the whole that everyone's thing. Everyone's just unhappy. That makes that makes things much less stable, mm-hmm. which can be which can be good for positive change. It can also be dangerous. Yeah, right? that's 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 interesting. No, I think you're I think you're onto something. Um, and and it makes future predictions. Like you said, I'm not. We were talking about what would we predict for this year with Biden's presidency, and I don't know. <laughs> there's there's if his approval ratings can shift so quickly, if Trump's can decline so quickly. I mean, he always had like a, a loyal opposition, right? But like I going at the beginning of 2020, so quickly? at the beginning of 2020, oh, you're going back with to, the economy okay. well, mm-hmm. pre-COVID-19. Now I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Things were, things were looking. And then things got out of whack crazy fast. Very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 You had a period of time where things just shifted very rapidly. And again, and then this is happening with Trump. Who Who's- knows? Who knows by 2024 where things will be? Well, and the interesting thing with with Biden is that there wasn't a new pandemic. There wasn't a new woke movement that basically 2020 and 2021 were the same year. You know what I mean? That almost that very little change between those two years. And that was, I think, part of the problem for Biden is that Trump was in office and then Biden was in office and nothing changed. And Biden got blamed (laughs) for everything. Trump got blamed. But my That's point true. is that you can't blame it on a new pandemic for for Biden like you can for Trump. Yes, yes, things new things. There were did there not were no happen. unexpected twists for Biden. You know, everything that happened that year, you know, was of his own making. So yeah, the only twists were his own decisions. Yeah, exactly. Like Afghanistan was a twist, but that was that was a that was a positive <laughs> action on his part. So you can't say I was he was surprised by that. Yeah, yeah. Which brings us to the big story of the year. Which we're already partially discussing, which is COVID nineteen. The big story of this year, the big story of or last year, I guess twenty twenty one. It's now twenty twenty two, and the big story of the year before. Luckily, here we are in January of twenty twenty two, and COVID's about wrapped up. So we probably will never have another episode about it again. So <laughs> this is kind of a wrap up for COVID as we're looking back at this. Disease. I hope that's true. I uh, hope that's true. This is this is pure sarcasm over here. I know. I know. There are some signs that it, that that could be the case. I see people, the CDC changing its guidelines for uh, how many days you are to quarantine, which is funny because they've been very uh, they've been very upfront about the fact that they're changing them for non non disease related reasons. It has yeah. nothing to do yeah. with how the virus has changed. It has nothing to do with with how infectious it is. It is purely a – well, you could call it purely an economic decision, but I would call it a political one, that people are yes. fed up with with, with lots of things, and so they're trying to, to placate people, and I think it's backfiring because the whole argument for the past two years is, well, we need to follow the science, and we need to do what's right for health, and now Fauci is saying, well, it's just a matter of what people can tolerate. It's like, well, where has that been for the past two years? Now, all of a sudden – you know, here at, at at this point, you don't care anymore. 
You know what that I mean? Like health I, isn't important, but it's been yeah, so paramount that yeah, we would exactly. like, discard everything like that, else. Yeah. That 180, I think it's going to be one yeah. that's hard for a lot of people who have bought in to the fear and bought into, okay, what do we need to do? I can trust you as a source, CDC, Anthony Fauci, as someone who's going to tell me what I can do to stay safe, yeah. has now been told, actually, we only care about keeping you safe if it's politically feasible and it's no longer politically feasible. That's going to be yeah. a huge betrayal of the only people who are still listening to the CDC at this point. Yes. Yeah. Which is a good point. The, the audience they have is going to be the only people that are going to be upset about this, <laughs> which is. Uh, yeah. Cause all the, all the people who didn't care anyways are no, have, haven't been listening to the CDC for months. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting dilemma. Like you said, if you, if you say, Look, we've looked at the variety of factors, and in this case, it makes sense to prioritize health in these circumstances because the cost of other things isn't, you know, doesn't uh, doesn't outweigh health at this point. You can then adapt from there. You can say these other variables, you know, as the variables shift, the the math comes out different. Mm -hmm. um, but no, they said, forget every other variable, forget every other factor. What's important is stopping this, and we do that by keeping you isolated for X amount of time based on scientific recommendations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At that point, you can't change it. You can't yeah, change it without looking changes. like you're... If you yes. say, hey, we've looked at the data and you're not infectious for 10 days, therefore we don't need to quarantine you for 10 days, that would be different. But that's not yes. what they're saying. They're saying you're still infectious, so when you go back to work, wear a mask, even, so, even though the data on a cloth mask is not very conclusive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it doesn't make sense. I love sense. the way they phrase it in articles. Yes, it doesn't, it doesn't make, make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, they they've uh to give a full explanation of why they've changed it, they have to say we have been taking into account other factors and those other factors are why we're doing this and and uh and actually make a case that they but then to do that undoes so much of the other claims they've made and they'd have to say we've actually changed our minds about how we've been going about calculating which decisions ought to be politically enforced on regard with regards to health and the, the trade-offs that are happening. And none of this is a road they want to go down, but they're forced to go down it for political purposes at this point. And, and it just makes them look like, I don't look like they're hypocrites. Like they're, yeah, and it's, like they're betraying the it's a really, sacred trust of it's science. A, it's a really odd capstone for the last two years and the official response, you know, from the NIH, from the CDC, from you know Anthony Fauci, these are the people who are who are talking about this change right now and defending it. Having this as a capstone really for me is quite vindicating because it <laughs> it vindicates what we've been saying. I mean, we've had too many episodes about COVID in the past <laughs> year. Um, you know, I remember when we had our 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 very first COVID episode, which was episode three back in 2020. And we're like, yeah, it looks like this thing's sticking around. I guess we should address it, you know, and, and here we That's are right. mentioning right. COVID, at least in passing, you know, for the 30th time. But we've talked about many different things and how and how convoluted and how politically motivated so many responses to COVID have been. And <laughs> and this is vindicating because they've, you know, they've really at this point, I think they have lost almost all of their credibility. And it's going to be interesting to see what the COVID story in 2022 looks like as such a huge proportion of the population 
no longer knows who to listen to. You know, a great example of this is all the legacy media talking about Omicron and talking about how mild the symptoms are while at the same time talking about how dangerous it is and how scared we should be. And it just, it just doesn't work, you know? And, yeah, and that's, you showed me a gem of an article on that. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah where, where the article was literally saying how, how all in general, all the signs point to mild symptoms, but, and this was, you know, the headline was something like, but severe symptoms could be even worse. And their argument for why it could hypothetically be worse was because Omicron was new. We're not sure if all of the previous treatments would work. And so even though there's no evidence that Omicron's going to be severe, they posted an article talking about the potential for it to be even more severe. We Just found, hypothetically, you know what I mean? It, we found a hole in the data in which we can fearmonger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like when you wrote that article, your goal from the beginning was for Omicron to be scary. You found out a way that it could potentially be scary and then went with that, ignoring the fact that you've had so many cases of Omicron with mild symptoms, you know, so few hospitalizations reported with Omicron. You know, it's just it's just mind boggling. It is. It is. Here's my optimistic prediction for uh, COVID-19 in 2022. I don't think it will be the biggest story of the year next year. I don't think it will. I think it'll still be a story but I think it will be relatively minor. You think when we're, um, when we're recapping 2022? When we're recapping 2022, it, I don't think it will be that important. Um, it will still probably be important politically because people will be talking for years about how, uh, how we responded, how we need to be ready for the next thing like it. But in terms of its actual impact on people from day to day, I think we're near the end. See, I, I disagree. <sighs> I disagree, Dan. I, I, I don't I don't think you're right. Don't I, crush. I, I have a small bit of hope in me, Brad. I will don't crush it. <laughs> if if we were doing a recap a year from now, like we're doing right now, okay. if it's not one of the top two stories, I'm going to be very surprised of twenty twenty two. I think that it's going I think regardless of of well you say you see so you're you're distinguishing things in an interesting way. You're saying there's going to be political ramifications and they're going to be day-to-day ramifications. And I don't think we can separate those two because as someone who's gotten COVID this year, as someone who's, you know, lived a relatively normal this life this year, I can confidently say that the vast majority of my interruptions from COVID were man-made. You know what I mean? That the biggest influence that COVID had on me this year was not getting COVID. You know what I mean? That was not yes. my story with COVID this year. It had nothing no. really to do with that, you know, week and a half I spent quarantining while having COVID. It was all about the other aspects of it. Yes, and, yes. And so. that is going to linger, and therefore right. COVID is going to be one of the biggest stories of 2022, regardless of how many people are actually dying and actually being hospitalized. In many ways, that hasn't mattered for a while now. I mean, I, it's- Yes, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, my, let me explain the distinction I was making because I see why. You're absolutely right. The, the vast majority of the effects of COVID-19 have always been political mm-hmm. effects, not the actual disease. Um, they've been the 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 way that, that rules and things have been implemented around them. They've They've 
changed colleges completely. They've changed a variety of work industries yeah, completely. I mean, right? I mean they've, public education for children has been wrecked yes, the past two it's years. Been savaged by it. Long-term consequences for kids who are growing up during this time that we won't be able to calculate for a long time. And that's nothing to yeah. do, you know, and that's nothing to do with whether or not the virus is killing a lot of kids. You're right. You're right. Um, I guess if I were to amend what I was saying or to specify what I what is, what I was thinking was, well, it will still be in, you know, political conversations will still be about COVID and the uh the effects of them and how we remedy that and those things and how we recover from it and how we prepare for the next pandemic and all of those kind of things. I think the news on it will decrease. Um, but as I'm saying, even yeah, as okay, I'm saying that from what you said, I think, I think you're right. I, still I think disagree. my hope is my, my optimism officially crushed. You're right. COVID-19 is going to be a big story this year. Probably top two. You're right. Sorry, Dan. No, because they're going to, they're going to run on it for elections again. It will be, it will be, it will be the political fuel for at least a couple more years, and then it will fade to the level I was thinking, where it's more like the white papers and things that are still discussing it and political insiders. You're right. You're right. Sorry, every, sorry to get everybody's hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hoping that it goes away. I have a distinct bias here in that I really want it to go away. I hate discussing it. <laughs> anyway, COVID, our formal prediction. Brad's right. COVID-19 is still a thing. Uh, Any other dreams you'd like to crush here? No, I, one, one per episode is good for me. One per episode. Okay. All right. What about January 6th? You know, it's funny, Dan. We never actually had an episode specifically we, about we January 6th. But certainly one of the biggest stories. Do you agree with that? <laughs> Not our, not our story. No, I know. I'm just Clearly. laughing because do you agree with that? You know, you're ready for me to disagree with you again, but I already established, you know, once per episode. <laughs> yes, Dan, this has been a a very large ongoing story this entire year. I mean, even even recently with the the the, the court hearings and, and proceedings that have gone on recently with January 6th, it is, continues to be a big story. It is. And a lot of riots, a big story is that they're hoping it will unearth. As long as the investigation continues, you can draw on it as you're, you're still free to speculate in ways that you can't speculate once it's concluded. Now, there will, there will always be people who have, you know, claim insider knowledge or, uh, you know, straight up conspiracy theories about what happened and what, what was revealed. Um, my favorite things to read about in relation to this is speculation about how many of them were feds. <laughs> that, that always cracks me up, especially since whenever it does come out who the feds were in any particular uh, crazy thing that happens, it's always more than I expected. It's always, like they were always playing a more direct role than you would have thought was legal. But uh, anyway. January 6th has been a big story. We never we never addressed it in a specific episode. Because yeah, I mean, we've mentioned it, but we haven't had we, a whole episode yeah. dedicated to it. I, I guess we did talk about it at length in right when it happened. Um, and we talked about how it was, well, it looked like it looked like a riot. We talked about how it wasn't an attempt to overthrow the government. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a coup. I mean, that's what's been so fascinating about this coverage, and it's worth mentioning again one more time, and part of why we haven't given it so much coverage, is that 
people have gone above and beyond to paint it as a coup Mm -hmm. while very carefully wording everything they say about it because there's no evidence of that. You know what I mean? And so that that goes from you have all these people who are who have stood trial. You have people who have been sentenced. No one has been sentenced with insurrection as far as I know. No one's been sentenced with anything really much more severe than trespassing. And there's another there's a term for it, but it's basically disrupting government process. You know what I mean? That the legislature was Mm -hmm. in session and you stopped that, which is a crime. Mm -hmm. And and that's basically all that anyone's been charged with as far as I know, because that's all there's evidence for, because Mm -hmm. what you had was a protest like protests that have been going on for all of 2020. But those were more politically acceptable. And you had you had a protest that evolved into a riot and you had people who stormed. Yes, stormed, you know, the Capitol building, which. It's such a, a another one of those fun terms because it's trying to sound like military or something like a military coup. But this is just something that happens all the time when people are unhappy with their government. I mean, it, when we our, our episode six back in 2020, long before January 6th, we talk about the protests and the riots and because, you know, the riots have been something that's been associated with the protests for a long time. And we talk about the fact that this is actually a a basically a traditional American practice, not even an American <laughs> practice, but something that people have always done in responding to 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 what they consider bad government is to respond with violence. You know what I mean? That's not unusual. Mm-hmm. And January 6th is, is not unusual. What's unusual about it is how it's been portrayed, how it's been written, how the story has been told about how really it was a coup that was organized by Donald Trump. You know, and the evidence for that is the three hours it took him to respond. And none of this really, really tells us – there's no evidence for it being a coup. There really isn't. Right. What right. their evidence is for is for what it was, which was – a bunch of angry people, which is a riot, and a bunch of people storming a building because they're upset, which is the same thing that happened in Portland, you know, two dozen times. Yes. Same thing that happened across the country. There were many government buildings that were raided. None of those were coups. You know what I mean? When they when they broke into the city building, they weren't trying to to stop the government or 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 decapitate the rulers. You know, they were just upset and they were rioting. And that's what happened here. And painting it as something else is is dishonest. It is. I I still wonder how you how doing that leads to a coup. <laughs> yeah, you're missing <laughs> doing so many that elements. in isolation. Mm-hmm. What do they then? They then what? Form their own legislature and start making laws. And we like where does it go from here? But no, it, obviously there was no overall plan to do something significant from there. It's, um, it's kind it's, of like how how people talk about the fact that Trump didn't willfully give up his power. You know what I mean? That there wasn't a peaceful transition of power yeah. between Trump and Biden, which is nonsense because Biden's in power and Trump is not. And there was no war. Yeah, there was no war. You know, at no point did Trump order his generals. You know what I mean? At no point did yeah. Trump issue a command to stop the transition of power, which he could have done. He could have issued that command. Would it have been followed? I don't think so. Yeah. (laughs) But the the point is, is if he had issued the command and no one listened, 
that would be different. Then you could say, Then yes. you can say, okay, something been serious happened here. Mm-hmm. And, there, and, and Trump did try and perform a coup. Because at that point, it would be some form of coup. Yes. And that's yeah. just not what happened. And I think yeah. a lot of Democrats were upset that it didn't happen. They really wanted it to happen because it would have given them so much ammunition and so much vindication, but it just didn't. I, I read a depressing article. I should have saved it and shared it with you. Uh, that was talking about how someone said, I thought I had seen the most horrific day in American history when I lived through 9-11. And then I lived long enough to see January 6th. They were dead serious. This was this was not satire. That's upsetting. At least not not any more satire than CNN articles. And I couldn't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> other than to, other than the same thing I do with QAnon, right? I shrug my shoulders, and if I run into someone who actually believed it, I would try and help them. But it's a. Uh, I don't. I don't know what to tell you. January 6th was not a coup, and it certainly wasn't the worst thing that's happened in a long time. I, I read another article. <laughs> the other day, we were thinking, I was thinking about doing an episode on January 6th again because people are still talking about it. There's still major headlines mm-hmm. in, at places like CNN and other, and other outlets like them. And they were talking about, uh, they were, they were discussing, um, I lost my train of thought. So the one you were telling me about earlier about the new information about what Trump was doing during that time. <laughs> First-hand witnesses that yeah, he yeah. really did know about it and didn't do anything for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I, that was not the one. But that one's funny, too, in its own way, where you're trying so hard to imply certain things. To imply things things that you don't have evidence for, but the bias of the particular audience can supply it, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they believe Trump is evil and wanted to take over the government. So- Anything he doesn't do, I mean, really, you can interpret then anything he does in that light, if that's mm-hmm. what you're, if that's your assumption. But, but that is an assumption, and it's an assumption upon which there's, there's little basis other than silly things Trump says, which he says all the time about all kinds of things. But anyway, the, it, I was trying to find reasons to discuss it and to do, look at the substantial things that came from it. But nothing substantial has come. Like Brad said, there have been light charges on some people. There have been some people who were clearly involved who have not been charged with anything, and there's good reason to suspect they were feds. There's, there's, there are little stories there, but nothing of substance other than to say it was not a coup. It was not to, oh, this is what the article said. I remember now. Last thing on this. They, it was talking about how, how they have never seen a violent riot like this in America. <laughs> and I thought like, like you don't even, ha- <laughs> not only could you go back to just the year before and look at places like Kenosha on fire, but, <laughs> but like, like you were saying earlier, like riots are not actually that uncommon. Now they're not normal in the way that they are in some places. Mm-hmm. They're news. Mm-hmm. In, in the U.S., whereas in some places it's kind of constant. Yeah, but have have we ever gone even one year without a single riot? I don't think I don't think we have in the United States. We definitely haven't gone a significant period of time without national newsworthy riots. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just interesting. People who are under the impression this event is singular when it's not. It is odd that they got into the 
to the legislature. No, right? no, there are real questions about, yeah, about, security about security for Congress right. because there's because there's so many videos of these people just walking through the halls, which is part of why <laughs> right. it's calling it a coup why and, dis- and, and why they're not getting charged right. with more serious things because right. these people didn't have to 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 either physically or or whatever. Yes. You know, shoot down a dozen armed guards to get into this hallway. They were able just yes. to walk down it. So yeah, most of them are unarmed there, and, wa- and are walking around. Yeah, which should not be possible. Mm-hmm. That that is there is something disturbing about it in that way, right? And that they could have been threatening senators and legislators and so on. But it's that doesn't make it more than what it was. Mm-hmm. The last major set of I guess trend of stories that we went through this year that we wanted to talk about is. A series of court cases, uh, not Supreme Court cases, which has obviously been uh, talked about a lot, and there were some major developments there, and there may yet be more developments, right? But it's yeah. But twenty twenty one has been the year of criminal court cases. Criminal that court have received cases. a ton of attention. They really have. Um, starting with George Floyd, for obvious reasons. Well, and Derek starting Chauvin. with Derek Chauvin, yeah. Derek Chauvin. Mm-hmm. George Floyd being killed. Derek Chauvin being on trial for his uh, murder. And as that one played out, as that one spawned a, uh, an entire movement, you know, it was ground zero for Black Lives Matter gaining traction as a movement that then uh, really took over for a long time mm-hmm. in terms of news and, and influence. That one makes sense as the, as the first point at which everyone's watching the case and how it's going to develop. And when it finally came to the trial, we were all there watching and, uh, you know, following it very closely. And I think that in part explains why all of the other ones then got attention. Mm-hmm. But I mean, part of it, part of it is that the general story is that police interactions are the problem, right? So you're going to watch the police cases. And, mm-hmm. and, um, but it's also that I think after watching several cases, people want more cases. <laughs> like, like it's a, it's an interesting law and order has become well, a and, and, reality. And and true crime podcasts have exploded in the past two years. It's a huge growing genre. But but you're right, there's there's something that's that's changed in, in the, the public's perception. I think part of it has to do with we haven't increased our focus on criminal justice. You know what I mean? That we're aware of injustices that occur on a regular basis in these court cases. And so we're much more interested in seeing what happens versus maybe 20, 30 years ago where we would just read the verdict and say, okay, well, there you go. You know what I mean? There are so (laughs) many more cases that are taking place today that are like the OJ trial where the country is split on what the correct verdict is on what actually is happening and whether or not it's justice and so we have and so that kind of trial is taking place on a regular basis now where it is incredibly controversial and i mean that's i mean the, the you know one of the other ones we got a lot of coverage on was the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and that trial was a lot like that where people were so cleanly divided on something that maybe they shouldn't have been right uh, it, where I th- yeah, the, Kyle Rittenhouse is a good one where, because the basic facts were so confused and so uh, unimportant and unimportant. <laughs> and they should have been important. They should have been known at least by the people discussing them and by the, the journals that, that with lots of resources that they were spending and that were frequently writing about it. Um, it turned out they didn't know much about it at all. Um, 
and even to the point where they were mis where people reading their articles were assuming things that were obviously mm -hmm. untrue. Mm -hmm. Um like the like the victims were black. Yeah, the European headlines that actually had Kyle Rittenhouse killing, you know, two black men because they were basing them off of the, the US articles, which strongly implied it. So they just assumed yes. Yes, which were deliberately implying it. Yes, yeah, it's interesting. We 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 mentioned uh, you then had like Jacob Blake, which, which spawned the Kenosha event, right? Jacob Blake in Kenosha and Brianna Taylor, who was uh, killed when her the police were firing at her boyfriend Kenneth. Um, other cases later, the Ahmed Aubrey case with the the guys that were which took place following. yeah close to the Kyle Rittenhouse. It was another interesting one, absolutely. Right, and and turns out they had they were ruled unjustified in their attempt to kind of do a citizen's arrest and then self defense claim when it went south. Um, one of the most interesting ones that I think is a a good trend of uh, the with in terms of uh, self defense and interactions with the police was the Arthur Coffey the Fourth, um, which you know much better than I do. Yeah, so uh, uh, Arthur Coffey the Fourth, he actually was was acquitted on most of his charges soon after Kyle Rittenhouse is around the same time in November. Um, his case took place years before, I think it was 2017, another, another case to put in our books for uh, speedy trials being a thing of wishful thinking and not reality. Yes. But regardless of his bail status, I don't care. There's, there's four years is, is far too long. Yeah. But but he's he's at home in his bedroom. The the SWAT hit his window with I there's a I think there's a better term for this, but it's basically a boomstick. It's a it's a long pole with a, a special explosive attached to the end that hits the window, shattering the window, and basically flashbanging the entire room simultaneously. Very effective tool, very loud, sounds a whole lot like a gunshot that yeah. Shot through the window, basically yeah, the has goals the same. To disorient, yeah, you blind, disorient, you deafen blind, you. deafen you all at the same time, as well as clearing an entrance into the room, which sounds exactly like gunfire. So, <laughs> so he grabs his gun off his nightstand, fires some shots out the window, doesn't hit anyone, and the the SWAT team responds by unloading into the room, killing killing a, a woman in the room with him, and he ends up getting a getting tried for. For second degree, second degree murder for for his girlfriend, as well as getting charged with attempted first degree murder of the police officers, and all of those charges get dropped. The only charge he gets convicted of is uh, is carrying is having a weapon as a convicted felon. Control. So he shouldn't have had the weapon in the first place. Which that case is pretty open and shut because he fired it. But but all of the all of the self defense arguments he won every single one, and it was really interesting to have that case happen at the same time as the Kyle Rittenhouse case because everyone argued that Kyle Rittenhouse only got off because of white supremacy that you had this white judge who was looking out for Kyle you know their buddy buddy you know the white judge even had a a somewhat a loosely Trump themed ringtone because it was a patriotic song that had been associated with Trump in the past, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have Arthur Coffey the Fourth, who is not white. He's a he's a he's a black man who, you know, pleads self defense after you know shooting at at police officers and gets off because he had a legitimate self defense case. 
you know, and, and that maybe it's not actually just about race and there are other issues here, doesn't change the fact that there are serious problems with the criminal justice system, something that we've said in the past and it's worth reiterating again, there are serious problems. The fact that Arthur Coffey Four had to wait four years for his trial date, regardless yes. of the outcome, is a very serious problem. You know what I mean? Right. Problems that are worth looking at. We talked about a couple other cases briefly around the Kyle Rittenhouse case that demonstrate the injustice of our current criminal justice system. Yes. I became aware of cases like Arthur Coffey the Fourth's uh must have been seven, eight years ago when I encountered the when I first heard about those kind of cases. The, the, cases, the where, cases with SWAT and cases where uh SWAT or the police are are uh carrying out a no knock raid of some kind where they're they're simply barging in, they're doing or breaking in through a window or whatever it may be. And engaging in gunfights then, because the person reacts fast enough to grab a weapon with uh with a civilian suspected of a crime an alleged criminal um this when i first heard about them every case that i heard about where they tried to plead self-defense they tried to say look i had no idea i was firing at police officers right i thought i was under attack i'm fighting back they were found guilty of things like kill murdering police mm -hmm. officers um the fact that Co arthur coffee the fourth was found innocent, and that this appears to be a trend, this is not an isolated thing. Is a good step in the right is direction. It's awesome. Yes, it's great. We The no-knock raids need to happen in very, and we've talked about it before, but you need to extremely restrict the circumstances. If someone is not, if someone's life is not in danger right now, you shouldn't have a no-knock raid. Yeah, because right now, the argument is, if we knock on their door, they're going to flush the drugs down the toilet. And you need to ask yourself, is that worth a firefight where who knows how many bystanders yes. are going to die? You know, like in this case, you know, Arthur Coffey Fort, you know, someone still died. The police yes. killed an innocent woman, as far as we know. You know, we, I don't know anything yeah, about her backstory, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But but she's dead, and there's no, you know, there's no recompense for that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the most egregious case I heard, they had knocked on the wrong door. They were at the wrong address. Guy had nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. Defends himself. Kills a police I officer. I like that they knocked on the door the for their no-knock raid. It's very <laughs> yeah, They probably didn't knock on the door, hit the door, or whatever it is they did. Sorry, I couldn't help it. Even the knock raids are, are can be very dangerous, right? Depending because often they don't hear them, or they no, and that's and that's why I mean, Breonna Taylor themselves. became you know you know famous was I mean famous is not the right term, but her case, her story became famous because that's what happened. Is there's an innocent person who is killed by police yes. as they're conducting this no knock raid that that shouldn't have happened. You know what I mean? Yes. That, that we should all be able to agree just shouldn't have happened. Yeah, it puts a, it. We may have to revisit. We've talked about uh, reforming these kind of things. Um, worth revisiting again in light of these cases because it's there's there's more and more momentum for it, more public attention. More, most recently, you have two new cases that have just been resolved. You have Ghislaine Maxwell, who was Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend slash accomplice. Accomplice. That's the word I'm looking for. You're welcome. And, and Elizabeth Holmes, who was a billionaire. Yeah, completely unrelated cases. 
unrelated cases, yes, and and not similar to any of the other ones listed. <laughs> yeah, Ghislaine Maxwell's high profile for obvious reasons, being uh, with Jeffrey Epstein and Jeffrey Epstein's potential political connections. Um, it's been resolved with her being found guilty on five out of six charges. It should be sufficient to put her away for life, I believe. I haven't looked into the details, but if it's not, I'll be shocked. Um, and sorry, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to. My, I'm trying to not be. make a Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein's suicide joke about how long you need to put her away for it to be life, but for it to be carry life. on. Are you saying two, three months? It's all you need. You need ten minutes unsupervised. Is all it is. It's sorry, I'll Jeffrey see. Epstein didn't kill himself. Um, there's no way the series of things that went wrong went wrong. Anyway, neither here nor there. But uh, I guess related to that, related to Jeffrey Epstein's uh, murder in in jail is the fact that uh, the Ghislaine-Maxwell trial did not actually pin it on anybody else. There's mm-hmm. no no other... Uh, um, as far as I know, there it's possible that there are low-level ones I missed. I haven't followed it too closely. But no high-profile person has been incriminated and is now being accused of crimes mm-hmm. through the revelations that have come out through the Ghislaine-Maxwell case. Which seems odd, at least. Yes, so it, it appears that it will stop here for now, which everyone knows it shouldn't, but thus it is. Elizabeth Holmes is interesting and different, and I haven't actually followed the case so much as heard other people who are obsessed with following it. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's a big it's a big uh, fraud case. Right. She start she has this startup company has to do with this innovative way of blood testing. Um. There's a Wall Street Journal article that comes out exposing it as being some kind of hoax, which of course causes the company to implode. And then immediately as the company implode, you know, charges get filed against basically all of the executives. And of course, the question then becomes, what did you know? When did you know it? Because because obviously just having a failing business is not a criminal offense. But if you were deceptive in how you in how you imploded that business, it very well can be. And so that then becomes a question for that case. She's found guilty on several charges, I believe. Yes. And she's been found guilty of fraud at several levels. I saw a 20, a 20 year jail sentence. Um, and several well, other, she hasn't been sentenced yet for. Yes. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. It's not a formal sentence. Yeah, yeah, okay. You're right. You're right. So, not so, a formal but, sentence. But, I saw speculation of to, it. Yeah, I know, I know several of them on, had up to 20 years. Yeah, based on the charges that she was found guilty of and several other charges that the, that the jury uh, did not decide and the judge has declared a mistrial on. I'm not familiar with how this works in this, but presumably those other uh, cases – got a cat walking under my lap uh, – <laughs> those other cases are uh, – those other accusations will be tried by another court at a later time. And so, yeah, I, I'd never, I feel like uh, there's probably a different term depending on the states. I've never heard mistrial applied in that context, but I'm not a, a trial attorney either. So, but that's where that, that, that one stands. Now we have another trial coming down the pipelines, hopefully not in four years, of Daryl Brooks Jr., whose crime uh, recently caught a lot of attention as he drove an SUV through a parade. Um, Obviously horrific. I'm curious what will be revealed is, you know, by the through the court process. But at this point, the trial is in the future. 
likely going to be another one that at least conservatives are very closely watching. Yeah, and, and so so as these court cases come about, I'm interested to see what happens in 2022 in terms of our our newfound fascination with the criminal justice system. <laughs> I'd love to see not just morbid fascination, but maybe some interest in in amending a lot of the laws and a lot of the structure that's currently set up because it's not good and seeing these cases should help people realize there are a lot of flaws in a lot of areas where there could be significant improvement and maybe we can see some actual changes. I'm not super hopeful with that, but there is some hope. So, you know, and we have seen yes. some positive signs, you know, the Arthur Coffee 4 was a positive sign. The uh the the attorney for the the one girl and I forgot her name I should have written it down who killed her her kidnapper um yes who yes. after the Cal Rittenhouse case said they were planning on on appealing using some of those same That's arguments right. we talked about it when we talked domestic mm -hmm. abuse and yeah, things and hopefully yes. and hopefully that sees some changes there because because those those laws could also use some reform but but we'll have to see. Yeah, ideally that is where this energy and attention is channeled into, right? That people are able to capitalize on the interest and actually make some improvements. Um, there are there are some real injustices. Yeah, and, and, and what we don't want to see is that instead the court system is encouraged to become a witch hunt as all that matters is whether or not you're on the right side of, of history and whether or not you're guilty or innocent. You know, yes. Elizabeth Holmes and Kyle Rittenhouse are both guilty because they're both representatives of of the oppressing class, whether that's white supremacy on Kyle Rittenhouse or the, or the rich, rich, you know, yeah. with Elizabeth Holmes that we know she's guilty because she, because her company, you know, because she's, you know, cost many people their fortunes, you know, whether or not she did it knowingly doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Yes. I really, I really hope that people are watching these cases close enough to try and determine the justice of this case based on the, the details of the case rather than on how you feel the, about the, the social yeah. groups that are mm -hmm. involved, right? That it, that it becomes a quest for get more accurately getting individual justice rather than a quest to, uh, for equalization of justice or some kind of social justice where your group determines your guilt. Because that was that, definitely a disturbing trend this year yeah, is the yeah, social reforms, justice aspect. Can you imagine a state that starts to take that seriously? And I guess and I guess to some degree states like California have begun to, where they're like, actually we're going to let out all these prisoners in this particular city because uh to equalize the 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 rates of different racial things. And certainly there are too many people in prison. That's not the question. But if you were going to select who you were going to let out, mm -hmm. that's not a good basis for it at yeah. all. <laughs> right? That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nothing that's unrelated to which people shouldn't be in there and which people shouldn't be in there. And if and it would and it's simple. It has the appeal of being like, oh yeah, we can we can actually run these numbers really easy. But but it, that would be a terrible solution. The other one I keep hearing about is restorative justice. We did an episode on restorative justice. And what I would say is the restorative justice. At this point, the term has been, every time I hear it, it's as a pejorative from Republicans talking about Democrats who don't want justice, who just want to let people. Which is not at all what we were talking things. about when right. we were discussing restorative justice. <laughs> right, right. Um, you could vastly improve the justice system by having an alternative route through the justice system 
when both the victim and the uh, criminal are willing and are willing to come together and to work things out. You could, it, it could be entirely different. You could have much higher goals when the participants are willing. You could aim for things like reconciliation, redemption, reformation in ways that you simply can't if both parties are not willing, right? Mm. And they, they don't want to interact. They don't want to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And right now, we treat every interaction with crime and with the police as if the person is resistant to the idea of going straight in their life, you know, going, leading a, leading a, a life without crime and without harming other people. And it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's, it's a fundamentally different thing. And I, yeah, something I think about a lot, but we haven't revisited it in the podcast. I think it would solve a lot of the problems with retention and recidivism. I think it would solve a lot of the problems with, with society in general and making peace amongst ourselves and getting to know our neighbors and getting, you know, social, more social and, and moral issues in terms of community and these other things. It's a, I think it would change a lot of society in a really powerful way to have that available. But you don't do that by discarding the idea that you have to, some people ought to be compelled and thrown in jail and some people have to be punished in other ways. And like, it's a, it's two different systems that can exist simultaneously. And you don't simply let everybody out on low bail or let mm -hmm. everybody, um, bail reform we've mentioned. We've got, we've got a lengthy list at this point of, of, criminal justice related reforms that maybe we'll have to compile in a in a more systematic way and put it all together be, yeah, because it's be worth visiting at some point yeah because it's really interesting and there's obviously a lot of attention and all of the progress on this or at least the vast majority of it comes at state levels and mm -hmm. so you don't you don't move this by through the the uh the federal political parties except except to the degree that it's related to federal crime some things some things are going to be solved there but a lot of the details of the interactions are going to be solved at the state levels. I have a lot of responses to that, but I don't want us to get too sidetracked into having a discussion of, of criminal justice all over again. So I'm going to I, yes, save them we're for talking a later about this, episode. We need to do another episode on this. Yeah. Some but, point in the but future. But in the meantime, as we kind of wrap up our wrap up over here, looking back at, at politics you know, in particular, Biden, Trump, and the the political divide there. Looking back at COVID, January sixth, then also these these court cases, the criminal court cases, and how they're shaping the the political narrative. Looking at all of that, looking into twenty twenty two, we've seen some good trends that we'd like to continue. You know, some of the some of the positive criminal justice changes. But in general, we've seen a whole lot of, of bad trends. So I'm not super full of hope for 2022. I know this is a little yeah. bit pessimistic as we're coming into it. But I also think that, that that's just the reality. You know what I mean? There's yeah. going to be some, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a little bit ugly in 2022, kind of like 2021 was after 2020. This is not yeah. a clean slate. Most of the baggage we've gone through in the past year is going to stick with us through this next year and so hopefully we can find some ways to get past that in this next year and we'll look out for those for those glimmering lights but in the meantime you know hang in there right the trends towards chaos are are to some degree a trend towards potential but that potential's often still in a negative direction oh yeah. from that too yeah yeah and, and yes and it has to be seized you have to you have to actually 
channel it into something and, and, uh, and get the attention, get a, a unified group pushing for something specific. That's not easy. And with that, thank you for listening. This has we'll been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.